In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of The Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field and then I, uh, I look over at my dad and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it. You're listening to Stat, the only show beyond the diamond solely dedicated to keeping the game's heartbeat alive. All right. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the very first episode of Stat presented by Baseball Isn't Boring. Uh, With the postseason officially underway, fans far and wide are tuning in to yet another October in which they will watch and wait to see if their team has what it takes to go the distance and win the World Series. Uh, Teams will be tested, players will triumph, and heroes will be born. As we usher in a new wave of October baseball in 2023, I present to you the question, what exactly makes a team ready for a deep postseason run? And joining me today is a man no stranger to October baseball, MLB veteran and 2013 World Series champion, Johnny Gomes. Johnny, my friend, thank you so much for joining us. How you doing? Doing well, doing well. Yeah, like you mentioned. So uh, this, I guess this Monday, right? So this is our last day until we uh, kick off this October, October fest, October baseball. The race to eleven wins. Um, it's uh, yeah, you're you're gonna you're gonna see it all. And I always say, with the postseason, you are guaranteed to see something that you haven't seen in the one sixty two. Absolutely. So, Johnny, your first postseason experience came in two thousand ten when you were with the Reds. What do you remember about that season, that team, and how everything went down? Well, I gotta back you up. Actually, we gotta go to two thousand eight with the Tampa Bay Rays. Oh, excuse right? me. Excuse me. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, the Tampa Bay Rays, we shocked the world winning the AL East, uh, beating the Boston Red Sox in seven games. Um, yeah, man, I mean, it, it, that happened super fast with the young, grown, young homegrown team, young Evan Longoria, uh, BJ Melvin Upton. Uh, I mean, we were just stacked all the way with a James Shields and a Casimir and a Cliff Boyd and a Hinsky. Carlos Pena got put on the map. Um, yeah, like I mentioned, man, we looked down and looked up and we were AOE champs and looked down and looked up again. I remember walking out of the dugout with Carlos Pena and we stopped and looked on the ground and it was paint on the grass. It said World Series. And it was like, my gosh, that happened fast. So the 2008 Rays, the Red Sox won the 2007 World Series. You guys had to get through them for that. What was that? What was the mindset in the clubhouse um, during that time, Johnny, with such a young team? You mentioned a young Evan Longoria uh, to get through the world champions. Yeah, it was different, way different than I would say the 13 Red Sox team and even the 15 Royals team, the two teams with the World Series is we were so young and dumb. We were so oblivious to the scenario and so oblivious to um, the magnitude of what's happening. And I remember we go into Chicago White Sox and just steamroll, just absolutely steamroll. I mean, it was not really much of a competition. And then we didn't play up. We didn't play down. We were just like young and dumb and Looking back on it now, it's like, geez, man, knowing what is on the line and we were just screwing off the whole time. Um, But yeah, man, once I had a piece of that pie, I mean, you you become starving for it. And 
I, I feel for dudes that have, haven't made it to the playoffs. I feel for dudes, you know, I mean, like a Mike Trout, right? Like, oh, gosh, um, that haven't tasted it. Because th- this is what it's all about. It, it really is what it's all about. Um, one of the things that people realize is uh, the last check you receive as a player is the last day of September. Like, you're not even getting paid. Um, you're on house money. And the, the further you get, the bigger share you get. Um, and then you're getting, you're seeing sellouts and seconds and it, this is what it's all about. October baseball is definitely what you sign up for. So you mentioned the differences between that young Rays team and a team that was kind of older, like the 2013 Red Sox, Johnny, what do you think that being young and dumb, as you said, helped you guys immensely? I totally do. I told, I love the youth in October. Uh, I love it on both sides. I love going against it, right? Because it's a real big chess match and, you know, you can swam one way or swam the other way. Um, but I mean, just think like going down the stretch with David Price back in the day when no one's faced him. And by the time they figure him out, we're out of town with the victory. Uh, you know, a young Evan Longoria, like, where do you pitch this guy? Pitch him up, pitch him down. By the time you figure it out, we're out of town. But at the same time, there are those some young mistakes. We were fortunate not to have too many of those. Um, but yeah, I, I, youth is a big driving force in the postseason. And then at the same time, you do need those veterans to lean on. And that is majority of time who's getting the ball game one, game five, game seven are those vets. But at the same time, when those young guys have that ball, it's it's pretty awesome. Seems to me like for a postseason roster, um, it has to be constructed with a perfect balance of young guys and those veteran starters that have been there, done that, that can teach those guys a thing or two. When in 2008, Johnny, was there anyone on that raised squad that you kind of looked up to for guidance uh, during like the beginning of your career? Well, truly the only guy that has even touched the postseason moving forward was Eric Hinsky. Um, and then Troy Percival too, but Troy Percival wasn't on the roster and ended up taking off. But, um, yeah, I mean, we, 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 we were all getting a taste of it for the first time and, you know, media day was cool and people hitting you up for tickets is cool. And we were just going through the motions. Um, is that the way to do it? I don't know. But I mean, it, it was pretty cool to have both sides of it and then see the magnitude of like Sox Nation, see the magnitude in Kansas City where they went to game seven last year and didn't get it. And it's World Series or bust mentality. Um, so getting getting a taste of, you know, both those is pretty exciting. So from 2008, let's fast forward a little bit to 2010, like we were saying. Mm-hmm. So now you're on the Rays, your um, postseason team. What differences did you notice immediately about going to that Reds team compared to the Rays team? Well, the Reds team, so again, you know, we, we kind of shocked the uh, NL Central. We had a big, powerful uh, St. Louis in there uh, sort of win the division. We won it uh, fairly early. Jay Bruce had that big walk-off uh, to clinch it. But, man, that's where Joey Votto, like, triple crown the league. That was a young Drew Stubbs, a young Jay Bruce, a young Johnny Cueto, um, a Roldis Chapman coming in there. Uh, Edgar Renneria was there. He, he was our big vet. You know, uh, Ramon Hernandez behind the plate with a vet. So that was really a sprinkle of some vets and uh, some young players. And previous two years before, I did make it to the World Series with Tampa. So I had a little taste. Um, but yeah, we ran into just an absolute buzzsaw that year of uh, the Philadelphia Phillies. You remember when Roy Holiday no-hit us of uh, game one. Um, we had a really, really good team. I think we led baseball in batting average. 
Like I mentioned, Joey Votto was coming in hot. He almost triple crowned the whole league. Uh, Dusty Baker, lead, you know, leading the ship. We were good. Um, we didn't expect to lose by any means, but we knew we had our work cut out for us. And I think after that, personally, it really sunk home of friggin' how hard it is to make it to the World Series. And it's way more than talent. It really is. I mean, there's lucky hops, there's injuries, there's your travel, you know, who gets sick, who doesn't get sick, um, arm injury, you know, if your closer goes down, your shortstop goes down, and then, you know, the analytic department comes in. It's like this dude hasn't hit second all year, but all of a sudden you like the matchup of him hitting second. So they're all involved. Um, after that, it, it really, you know, hit home of like, damn, this, this freaking thing's going to be hard to win. Johnny, in your experience, um, in terms of approach, does do analytics play a more like have a bigger role in the postseason in terms of how you're going to attack a lineup, how you're going to attack a certain pitcher? Well, yeah. I mean, you're going to see every single freaking number just dissected and planned out. Um, I think one of the biggest <clears throat> analytic hiccups or analytic you know, bonuses was game four of the 2013 World Series. The game ended when Koji picked off Colton Wong. Mm-hmm. Like, but when you go down the analytic world, that was Koji's first pickoff of the whole season, right? So going into that game, if you're the Cardinals, you're like, okay, if you get on first, take a huge lead and just take off. He doesn't pick. Mm-hmm. He gets on first base. The first pitch he picks off for the third out, we win, right? So analytics is, you know, it's an average of 162, right? Mm-hmm. And majority of the time outside of that pick, you're not going to find too many 100 percenters at all. Right. You're going to see a dude bunt who hasn't bunted all year. You're going to see the hit and run. You're going to see the back pick. So it's definitely analytically driven. But what is unique this year for the first time in a long time in the postseason, there's going to be no shifts. Mm-hmm. How do you think that's going to shake out? It hasn't happened in a long time. Right. We're, we're going to have to see. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I've always I, I did think, uh, you know, a big playoff game or a World Series game would end or get decided by a bad shift uh, with a guy laying down a bunt. I don't think it got uh, magnified too much because I always thought that shift stuff will get you to the postseason, but it won't win you the postseason. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, and we're going to see. I mean, everyone's running wild with these stolen bases, right? The 2020, I think there's 19 of them this year, just going crazy. And then, but what happens when you get thrown out in the seventh? What happens when you get thrown out in the fifth? What happened when, you know, something we haven't seen many pitch outs all year. So that's going to come into play, too. Yeah, absolutely. So, Johnny, you mentioned uh, game four of the 2013 World Series. That was actually the same game David Ortiz made his speech. And I just watched that video earlier today. You were standing right next to him. What can you tell me about that speech and just about the leadership David uh, had throughout that entire um, postseason run? Yeah, I mean, this guy doesn't have HOF next to his name, you know, for just his stats, right? This guy is a true leader. He's a true leader in, you know, the community. Um, it's really, really hard and ballsy, you know, for anyone to call a team meeting at any given point in the big leagues. You got 25 alphas running around. They might not act like it, but they're the best at their craft, you know, at that given time. Um, so for a guy like his magnitude to call a meeting, I mean, it was pretty simple to get everyone's attention. But I, I think and what he mentioned in different words and all stuff is like, we were kind of pressing and we were kind of like waiting for something to happen, right? We were waiting for David to go deep. We we're waiting for Pedroia to make a big play. We we're waiting for Napoli or Victorino or someone just to kind of do something. And everyone was sitting back waiting for the spark. 
Um, and that's not how we got there. And that's not how the success we had all year. We were all just smashing the ball and passing the torch when it was given. So it's just a quick reminder to get back to how we were playing the game. And um, yeah, fortunate for me, you know, uh, Dustin walks, David walks, and I get up there with the pitch and change and change the freaking score. And it was history from there. What was that feel? Describe that feeling for me, Johnny, as you're running around those bases. <clears throat> um, yeah, it was an emotional roller coaster. I knew because the previous game was actually the biggest, wildest thing when the game ended on interference with Will Middlebrooks. Yep. Uh, it should have been that uh, double play, possibly one of the best double plays ever turned in the World Series. How ironic with Dustin Pedroia making the diving play, how he even got that unbelievable, gets the guy at third, third goes to or at home, home goes to third, overthrow, Nava's backing up, he shoots at home, tags him at the dish, great unbelievable double play and then it just gets ruined and it's not like we get to strap it on again like game over um so i mean and guess what you got a game tomorrow and we got a game the next day um so yeah we kind of had our heads in the sand you know from that you know like i said some of these lucky bounces or unlucky bounces there's a lot more than just talent um but i knew man i i I knew when we hit that world series it was a world series clinching homer i really did with the team we had with you know the you know john lester coming back around lackey coming back around um, I knew it was, it, it was go time. So in the playoffs, Johnny, like you're facing, obvious, you're in high pressure situations. How does your approach as a hitter change um, compared to the regular season? <clears throat> I think what you see and what you try and do is a lot more like situational hitting. I remember my first playoff game in 2008 was against the White Sox. And it was like a 3-1 count in the second inning for the home team for them up. And the place was just rocking and rolling. And it really just sunk home like the magnitude of a three ball count, the magnitude of one batter on first base, the magnitude of a pass ball from the runner first to second. Now he's in scoring position. I'm like, it's the second freaking inning, but it's like every single pitch is do or die. Every single swing is do or die. And the magnitude is such a big deal. And at the same time, you have to turn the page like right away, right away, right away. And you just got to have like tractor beams on. Um, you know, it's it, it's cutthroat. It really is. Every single pitch, you know, the airs like in 2015, Carlos Correa bobbled that ball. We were down by four in the eighth, came back. And they were, if, they, if he would have made that play, World Series would or the uh, ALDS would have been over. We would have been going home. And if it wasn't for Carlos Correa, bobbling that ball you know we probably don't have world series ring on our finger um so the mistakes as well as the home runs and the punch out it's just so magnified everything all the little things that must make it far more mentally draining than the regular season too especially because you know like you said you're playing the next day you have to forget about yesterday you're playing the next day and everything matters every pitch every at bat everything yeah, it, it, it's wild, um, and it's unlike anything. So I've been to the playoffs with Tampa and then the Reds, Oakland, Boston, back with Oakland, and then Kansas City, and fortunate to win it twice. And even – so when it's all over, I mean, you, you your body, like, shuts down. It's like you just sleep. You'll, you'll have that, like, 18-hour thing when – I haven't been, you know, I haven't woke up past nine or 10 o'clock or whatever all year. And all of a sudden you just peak up at like three. You're like, what Mm. the hell? I mean, you are so mentally exhausted. And I remember as a young guy, you know, they talk about that in the game. Like you got to be mentally exhausted. And you're always like, how the frick? How do you get mentally exhausted trying to get this brain on a treadmill? Like, I don't get it. 
But um, when you get in the fight of these postseason games, it, it hits home. Yeah. So like during during the World Series run, like, are you even sleeping during the postseason? I mean, it's tough, man. It, it really, you're sure not sleeping if you win it. That's for damn sure. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's a grind, and and it's the the travel too, right? You're at a city for three days, back for three days, and at game seven, you got to go back, or six and seven, you got to go back. The travel's crazy. Your uh, the hotels are different than you've stayed at. Um, you probably got a whole bunch of friends and family all there, so there's so much more on your plate outside the lines trying to get mom into the game, trying to get, you know, all your friends into the game and text messages. And you're like, dude, I got to go hit. I don't know where your damn tickets are. Go, you figure it out. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of stuff like that. But yeah, it's uh, it's mentally exhausting. And it, it's freaking what you sign up for, man. It really is. Right. So, Johnny, obviously winning a championship's the ultimate goal. Um, you were able to do that with Kansas City and with Boston. Can you describe a little bit of the emotions and the celebrations that followed both of those? Yeah. Uh, you know, Boston is different. It really is. Uh, obviously, you know, that place is a museum. Uh, they do have a few other world titles, but none of them have ever clinched at home, which we did. You know, we clinched at Fenway Park, which is just life-changing when you can celebrate the last victory of the season in Fenway Park and then the magnitude there of the Boston Marathon bombing right which was you know wild to uh be able to put a little bit of a a thumbprint on the history of that whole event but then there's Kansas City you know Kansas City you know I wasn't on the team 2014 but they made it to the World Series all the way to game seven and they would have won it if it wasn't for Bumgarner who just had the most historical run you know almost ever coming out of bullpen starting He's unhittable. Um, you know, and they're like, we're not coming back here again and losing. Um, heads up against the big bad Mets at the time. But yeah, man, it, it, and it just goes all off season, right? You want to party with your teammates and then here comes the parade. And then you go home and you party with your friends and family back home. And then you got to go wherever you went to college and, you know, ha ha, this and that. And then you got spring training and everyone's, you know, you got the patch on your sleeve. Uh, and then you get your ring, and then you're like, oh, yeah, we got to try and do this again. And then part way into the other thing, that World Series hangover is about as real as it gets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Johnny, all the yeah. postseason teams you've been on, can you name a couple of the commonalities that all of them have shared? Obviously, they're very different rosters, as we said, but certainly teams have to have a certain thing to make a deep run in the postseason. Yeah, you know, I've asked this question. I've thought a lot about it. And, you know, it's kind of like, how do you build a championship team? And you think it would be pretty easy if you did have, like, you know, a to-be-continued bank account or checkbook for the GM's president's owners. Um, hasn't really been, you know, made or copycat. I mean, you look at, like, Baltimore and Toronto. You no, know, Baltimore and Tampa right now, the two lowest in the division, are the two highest seeds. Um, so what I've always thought was, so the winning teams, you know, the first place teams, they're all totally different. They're all totally different. So the two teams that I was fortunate to win with the Red Sox and the Royals were totally different teams. Now you face them. I don't know who's going to win when you face them each other, but which is ironic is all the last place teams are identical. They're all identical, right? They're all the same, but the good teams, right? Like, I think, uh, like, even Boston and Kansas City, like, our starting ERA wasn't that good. But we had a shutdown bullpen. 
Kansas City, we didn't hit a whole lot of home runs, but had a whole bunch of singles. It was just like passing the torch mentality. It was like single, 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 single. And the Red Sox was like walk, walk, homer, walk, walk, homer. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, in the middle, you, you really you got to limit your strikeouts. You know, strikeouts aren't that good. Um, your closer is, is really, really important. I always say highway one, you know, your catcher. Your shortstop and your center field are your true captains. And when you look at the winning team, you're going to know exactly who those dudes are at Highway 1. And then, you know, you got to have some depth, of course. Uh, I'm always infatuated with the lefty-lefty matchup and who goes after that and who doesn't let that happen. Uh, like a really good lefty on a really good lefty hitter. The lefty pitcher majority wins all the time. And then you got older guys like a Chase Utley just waffling balls off lefties. Um so I always watch the lefty-lefty matchups, which is pretty cool. So, Johnny, talk a little bit about the importance of team chemistry during these um, deep runs because you, you're you very much a glue guy. Everywhere you go, like you, you've you won. So wh- why does that follow you? What what do you embody that gives you that kind of aura? Yeah, man, I don't know. I, I, I just think it's, uh, it's like individual. Uh, I don't come from a big family. I always thought, you know, the team was my family. Um, you know, I'll live and die with those guys. I'll protect those guys. Um, accountable for those guys. Uh, I'll throw anything on my back to get it off their back. Those guys. Uh, and it goes a long way in the big leagues when you're talking about guys making, you know, tens, twenties, hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, you know, normally they're asked for stuff, right? They're always asked, asked. So, uh, majority of time is not trying to get something off their plate and allowing them to be superstars which I always thought was pretty important. But uh, there always has to be something else, too. There always has to be something else. And there's always a fine line of something that has happened during the year. Or, you know, unfortunately, you know, if it, there's a tragedy or, you know, I mean, even like a Vince Scully, right? They're going for the Vince Scully. And then, you know, you're going for the Dusty Baker who hasn't won in like forever. Um, there, there's always, you know, some, some story in between the lines that the team is paying really a lot of attention to, um, which is unique cause you can't really craft that. Um, but there's always something off the field that the team is fighting for too. Got it. And so in 2013, it was obviously the city of Boston, Johnny, after that tragedy happened, what were like the conversations in that clubhouse? Like, like did were there even any conversations like we have to do this for the city or was it just kind of like everyone came to work the next day, knew what they had to do and you guys just went out and did it? Well, I'll tell you what really stuck out was uh, that year. So everyone wants to say like we kind of kickstarted it with David's speech, which was pretty powerful. And that was just our first game back. Um, There's a lot of really important people on the field and seeing the city reunite and a lot of stuff. Um, But that year, the Boston Bruins made it all the way to the Stanley Cup. And it was like, how cool is this? I mean, gosh, during this crazy year and all the stuff, and let's all jump on the Bruins' shoulders and ride this fairy tale of a deal. And then, boom, they lose game seven. And I remember coming to the yard after that being like, I mean, the whole city had a freaking taste in their mouth. And then it just got ripped out. And it was like, oh, boy, it's it's 100% up to us now. Which World Series parade, Johnny, was – crazier slash bigger boston's or kansas city well i think uh the bigger people wise i think boston i think there's like three and a half million um just cruising through and i think it was one of the only parades too so obviously on the duck boats so they have a road tour and they have a water tour and we did both um Mm -hmm. but something like i've never seen before ever is we in kansas city there was a rally uh i don't even know what the lawn was called but we're on a stage looking out 
to, you got to look it up. It was the wildest thing ever. There's 1.2 million people on this lawn. And we were giving our speech and we were giving our talks and all this stuff with 1.2 million Kansas City crazy fans. Um, that was, I mean, something that was just absolutely bananas. So as we look back and we reflect on your postseason career, Johnny, are there, what do you believe was the most valuable lesson you learned um, about competing at the highest level in the highest pressure well, situations? <laughs> I'll tell you what really freaking sticks out is when you see the pressure, when you see the magnitude of a 2-2 count in the fourth inning with less than two outs and a runner on third, like how big of a moment that is and how it can switch the game and all stuff. So to have that at bat, to have that mentality, to watch it play out, you have to carry that over into June, July, August, and May, you know, you because that's how you have to get there. And there's a lot of just going through the motions as a postseason. And then a lot of times you look up, like Seattle, you look up and you're like, one game back, right? One game back, two games back, three games back. You're like, if we just would have fought like hell that one game in June, right? And then, so that's when I knew, um, you know, to get that mentality like in 08 early in my career and parlay it into like a pinch hit in the seventh, right? You're like, oh, geez, here we go. Why does the manager want me to hit? But when you're in the postseason, it's like he wants me to hit because he thinks I can go deep right here or he thinks I can have a great bat or I have better chance for the team winning with me at the plate. During the regular season, you're kind of like blah, blah, blah. But I mean, so to get a taste of that totally turned around my career. And I think after that is kind of what really led, you know, which is small, but like my pinch hitting career, I started to have great pinch hitting numbers because I knew the importance of every single pitch and having that postseason mentality. So before we shift gears here a little bit, Johnny, what do you think of this year's current playoff picture? Who do you like? Who are you worried about? Uh, and who do you think is going to take the cake? <laughs> What I like about it is there's a bunch of really good teams that are like new faces, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so you got Baltimore in there, of course. You got the Diamondbacks in there. Um, so if you were to take away L.A., Atlanta, and Houston, this is going to be a brand new matchup. Some teams that haven't been there in years, right? I mean, Milwaukee is going to be, you know, crazy. Uh, Diamondbacks are fast, young, and exciting. Texas is back in the match. Toronto. That Texas-Toronto matchup, you know, to me is, you know, really interesting because uh, even though they, I know they don't want to be there in that scenario, but I think both those teams have like World Series or bust on their mind. So to have that bust in a wild card, man, that's back to the drawing board, you know, for a long, long offseason. But then the teams that have been there, you know, like L.A., I, I think LA is really excited where they are. I think they kind of like limped into this team. They obviously had their payroll down, you know, a whole bunch. So to get where they are with that low payroll and some of these young, exciting guys, um, and they got some youth too, believe it or not. And then they got this guy, Freddie Freeman at first base, who the last five years would have, you know, the NL MVP in his back pocket, no sweat. He's probably going to finish third or fourth. With these it's other crazy. guys going crazy. Yeah. I mean, he's got 200 plus hits, 250 plus doubles, 20 bags. I don't think he made an air all year. Um, wow. But then you got Atlanta. Atlanta, how do you pitch around that lineup? You know, don't let the best guy hit you. Well, the best guys one through nine, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Baltimore, there, there, there's that youth right there, right? There's that Gunnar Henderson going off. Um, so you yeah, think that youth I, could I'm hurt excited. them? Um, so they, they got a different youth because they've been there all year. 
right? Mm -hmm. They've been there all year. No, like September call up driving the bus. That's what we had for uh, David Price. But yeah, I mean, they're pretty close to like wire to wire. You know, if you think, I mean, actually Tampa got off to a good start and cooled off, but they've been good all year. So uh, as much as they possibly were a shock, you know, like not inside that clubhouse, they 100% expect to be there. And that team is freaking good. Mm -hmm. Are they your World Series pick? Um. Jeez, I hate I, I I I hate the predictions right away, and I'm still <laughs> tough on these predictions because I still have a lot of dudes that I know that are playing. Um, <laughs> yeah, you don't want to make anyone mad. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm 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 sitting back in October, and I'm gonna watch every single game, every single, and just root for dudes and root for big moments. And you saw the attendance of baseball and kicking it off at the WBC early. Uh, you know, baseball's baseball's hot right now. Even without mm -hmm. Taylor it, Swift, we're doing all right. Yeah. <laughs> we're doing okay yeah. without Taylor Swift. Um, yeah. So, Johnny, let's transition a little bit to what you're doing post your playing career. Um, you're currently the head of business strategies at a company called Yacker Tech. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, Yacker tell me Tech a little bit about cloud. yeah yeah tell me a little bit about Yacker Tech Baseball Cloud and uh, how you got connected with them. Yeah, so like Yacker Tech is like the ball tracking device, right? So when you're watching these games and you're watching like Statcast and you're watching launch angle and exit velocity, um, it's really cool for the fan experience to see that. Um, now, when you go downstream, when you go into college, and you go into high school, and you go to travel ball, like those are the numbers that matter to get you to the next level. Right. Those are the player development numbers. And those are the numbers now that coaches are looking at for player development. You know, it's, you know, for instance, like every time this guy throws his change up at, you know, Boston College, right? Like it's getting absolutely waffled. They're slugging like 890 off it. Now, the eye test is a lot different than the stats, right? So the, the machine Yacker Tech, right, is uh, the camera that's on top of your dugout and is a ball tracking camera. And it's probably the most performance enhancing thing a team can have this day and age with the instant gratification, especially with the scouting reports, knowing the heat maps and the scouting maps. And, you know, you look at it today and you see the catcher like pull up his little deal right here and see all those numbers. Well, that's mm -hmm. data, right? And then when you see the outfielder and infielder pull the card out of their back pocket, two steps left, one step in. Well, that's built on data. Now, you can't have that data without the ball tracking device. And when you start getting into the draft and you start getting into the portal and all the stuff downstream uh, where Yacker Tech is, you got to have data to go to the next level, right? I mean, back in the day when these machines weren't really out, you look behind home plate and there was between 50 and 100 scouts. And that's when you know there's a good guy or a big game. Now they're not really there anymore. There's a lot of um, cuts, especially from COVID. Um, and all the scouts and all the higher-ups and everybody wants the data. You know, it's not like what's your batting average. It's how hard do you hit the ball and where do you hit the ball. And then they can look at these numbers and every organization has a different way of breaking their numbers down. Um, and then on the pitching side too, like where do you release the ball to height? Where do you release the ball, you know, close to the plate? And that's like injury prevention too, going down those numbers. Um, if I was in like high school making my move to college right now, my simple decision would be what's good for myself and my family and do they have a ball tracking device, especially Yacker Tech, which is an optical device, which know you're, you know and you get 100% accurate. So it's really cool to take, you know, the old school mentality and then the new school mentality and kind of blend them together, uh, strategic partners and helping everyone out. And at the end of the day, getting these cameras out to places for kids to find that diamond in the rough. Like, how do you find a diamond in the rough? 
you put that Yakker Tech device right above the dugout, and everyone's going to see every single time you hit and throw the ball. So Yakker Tech is the actual camera itself, right? Yes. Yes. And then Baseball Cloud is where all the data lives? Yes. And that's where it gets dissected. So you get your data, right? And then it gets brought into Baseball Cloud, which is basically like a sabermetric department, like all the big, you know, all 30 teams have and all the minor league teams have. It's basically your own built-in sabermetric department, which is a website you log in, users, and it is, it's it, it's it. You know, and see, you see these guys looking at their iPads and you see these guys like flipping over the sports down into the collegiate level. It's Baseball Cloud. Interesting, interesting. So Baseball Cloud has or has not made its way to MLB yet? No, um, you know, so we're all in the downstream market, right? We want to be downstream. And there's only 30 major league ball clubs. We'll take yep. the, you know, 350 collegiate college level teams. Um, so, yeah, we're basically like, so Hawkeye is the big camera that's in the major leagues. You know, so yep. we're downstream. We're high schools, junior college, travel ball, you know, East Cobb, perfect game. You know, we're all over the place and, you know, most of the top 25. And the really cool thing, exciting about right now is the Yakker Tech is really the only device that can get data from a ball on a softball. If you think of softball right mm. now, there's no data, right? What's a launch angle? What's a spin rate? What's horizontal vertical movement? Like they don't know. All they know is how hard you throw the ball and how far you hit the ball. So we can get like bat path, launch angle, exit velocity, horizontal movement, vertical movement, all this stuff, release point. Um, so it's really exciting to be like on the forefront of softball right now. So are you going to these teams, Johnny, meeting with these coaches, um, managers, all this, explaining what you just explained to me and then seeing if they buy in or not? Yeah, it's it's a little bit different um, as far as now, kind of like if you're not on board with analytics, like you're a dinosaur and it happened right. quick, um, but you see how important it is. And, you know, I always say like the analytics is like a grocery store, right? These you know, Everyone has the same numbers, but mm -hmm. do you go and get like a microwavable dinner or do you go over here and make your own dinner? Like, are you mm -hmm. vegan? Are you keto? Are you all meat or whatever? The data is the grocery store, right? And it's how you select it and how you use it and how you change it. Um, so that's what we do. We don't tell anyone how to use the numbers, but we definitely tell the importance of the player development and the instant gratification of having these numbers. Where do you see Yakertech, Johnny, in like the next two, three, four, five years? Do you think that they're going to be uh, like a household name soon enough? Yeah, I think so. I, I do. I think uh, it's definitely going to be on the forefront of pretty much wherever softball is because I think they're really excited about this. Um, and then, you know, it, it's the new jam, right? Like if, like I mentioned, if I was going to play summer ball, right. As a quidge guy, my decision is going to be made of where, if there's a ball tracking device there, if Yakker tech is there, um, that way there might, all my hits are recorded. Um, so the eye test obviously is still extremely important, but you know, you don't want those numbers to get lost and you get to see like the upside, right? So this kid's average exit velocity was 86, and then it went to 89, and then went to 92. So you're seeing the up of this kid. And at the same time, you're seeing the downfall. When you see the downfall as a player, you know what's happening. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's your arm slot. Something's changed. Then you go in the cage. Then you go in the bullpen and change it. But um, yeah, it's it's almost, I mean, it's, it's pretty close to mandatory. And I mean, you look at it like no one in the past, I think eight years has gone in the top 10 rounds without data on them at some point, mm -hmm. right? That's why 
you know, some of these junior colleges, like there's some dogs in these junior college fights, but like how hard he hit the ball? We don't know. You know, we saw he had a good game, you know, in the grand junctions, but you know, we, we don't really know. So we can take him in the later rounds. But if you have data on you all year long, like you, you are going to skyrocket if the numbers are there. Like just because you hit 400, 440, it's, you know, it depends on what division you're in. But if you're smashing the ball ag- average exit velocity at 100, I need that guy. If your spin rate is upwards of 3,000, if your spin rate is 3,000 on a fastball, you're going to get taken in the top 10 rounds. It doesn't matter where your ERA is. But if they don't have that number on you, you're shot, bro. Absolutely. Okay, Johnny. So before I let you go, a couple more things. I have three postseason related questions for you, if that's all right. So my first gotcha. one of all the postseason teams you've been on, who doesn't need to be a World Series winner? Who was the hardest partier? You cannot name yourself. Oh, partier. Um, well, I think it would have to be either on Kansas City or Boston because we partied the most, right? We, okay. you know, we were yeah. popping champagne to get into the clinch, the playoffs, get into the playoffs, the uh, you know league championship. Um, the hardest partier. Um, I think I just have to hang my hat on the 2013 Red Sox team. We okay. We uh we had a pretty rowdy bunch. I don't want to limit anyone out, but <laughs> if you were in that clubhouse, there's a good chance you were you were in it to win it. Okay. And your perfect world could be any city anywhere. What does the perfect World Series celebration look like? Could include a parade, could include anything you want. Um Wow. The perfect. Um, so Texas would like to break in that new ballpark. Uh, Houston would like to go back to back, which hasn't happened in forever. Those cheeseheads in Milwaukee. Holy cow. They might burn that city down. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that would be rowdy. Uh, the team that seems to be like the little brothers for so long and keep trucking and just haven't made it is Tampa. And they just announced, you know, their new stadium. Just, you know, they said, we're here, you know, for the long haul. And to kick that off with a title uh, would be pretty cool. L.A. is always a big banger. Um, Baltimore getting back in the fight. They haven't been there in a while. I'd really help that city out. They could use some positivity up there. Oh, but, yeah. um, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't think you can go wrong. Be like, ah, this is going to be a weak parade. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think Good you point. saw, Good what point. was it? Philly, Philly last year when their mayor came out and said, like, if we win it, he's going to, there's no, you know, spending limit. He's going all (laughs) in. So I think he set the stage for that, which is pretty cool. Hopefully that's the same this year. Um, All right, Johnny. So we're about a month away from No Shave November. I'm growing this bad boy out. So I need your top two beard tips for maintenance, softness, whatever you got. Okay. So the number one thing is, um, you know, you have a beard when you're eating and someone goes, Hey bro, you got something in your beard and you didn't know it. And you're (laughs) like, yes. So when we were growing our beards out in 2013, I was kind of ahead of the curve. And I tell people, I go, you know, you have a beard when you're eating and your buddy, your girlfriend, your wife, or something's like, you got food on your mouth and you didn't even know it. So that's when you officially have a beard. And Two is get you a good oil. And then three is you got to bust out that blow dryer. You got to blow dryer that beard. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. With yeah. a comb? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Wow. yeah. You, you get it down. You get it down. You get it up. You get it down. Yeah. You flatten it out. That's how you flatten it out is that blow dryer. Got it. Okay. All right. Well, we'll have to check back in with each other in November. Johnny Gomes, I really yep. appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much for being the first guest on the first episode of Stat. Um, And we'll reconnect soon, I hope, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, let's get it on. Let's watch these postseason and we can reconnect for sure. Sounds good, man. Thank you. You got it.
Stat, where the game's heartbeat never fades.